everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. This is the second time we've recorded episode 18, right, Stephen? And we're late. That's true. We're very late. Sorry about that, everybody. It's my co-host, Stephen Lewis. How Hello. you doing, bud? Hi. We had a busy day today. We had a busy week. A really busy week. We've had a busy two weeks. Yeah, and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. No. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about mountain bikes, and hopefully all of this busyness can actually benefit you guys. That's the point. Uh, we were at Sea Otter last week. We are just about ready. We're finally like rushed back from Sea Otter. I've had a crazy busy week of work. Same here. Somehow cool. trying, Yeah, somehow trying to catch up on all this stuff. And today we already were getting things ready to go to TDS. Yeah, like I'm leaving for the Dirty Sanchez at 5 a.m. tomorrow. And I'll be leaving uh, Saturday at 5 a.m. Yeah. So bright and early. That's just, I guess, how it goes. And things even changed and got even busier. That's how it works. I happen to have a Polaris Ranger High Lifter Edition 1000 XP six-seater sitting in my... uh, in the trailer right now. It's a pretty good setup. It's pretty sweet. And he's doing it's all gonna right. It's going to be a nice shuttle rig. So, and forgive us if you hear any cars coming by. Bucks Unlimited here, my neighbor, likes to fire up his diesel anytime we hit record on a podcast, it seems. It's so. actually pretty hilarious, guys. It's funny. <laughs> so, And yes, his tow mirrors are up yeah, at all times. At all times. If you drive a Dodge Cummins, please <laughs> put your tow mirrors away. Unless you're towing a trailer that you can't see around. This is a pet peeve of Stevens. It's so. insane. So let's get into mountain bikes. This is what we talk about every week. We talk about mountain bikes. Actually, we, we talk about mountain bikes, not tow mirrors and, and diesels and all that business. But uh, you can find out more about this podcast at mtbpodcast.com. It's where you can find the latest episode. You can listen to the podcast there. You can subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use directly from that website. It's super easy. You just click a button. It'll take you there. And you can share the podcast episodes from there as well. Yep. You can review us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. We're still doing great on those ratings, man. We are. Keep them coming, people. Five stars. If it's anything less, just let us know first about how we can fix things. And then hopefully we can make it a five star review for you. So we'll try to. A do five better. star podcast, I should say, for well, you. Yeah. yeah. And a couple things to, to, and then of course you can find us at MTB Podcast all over the internets. So on social things. Everywhere. You can Google. It. Yes. Use the Goog. Uh, a couple things really quick. Uh, first, shirts. We have t-shirts. We do. And if you go to mtbpodcast.com, you can find a link on there that will take you to the t-shirts. You'll see it. It'll be like on, on the header on the side there. You'll be or on the top. You'll be able to click t-shirts and it will take you directly to it. You Magic. Can, yes. So we're getting, uh, we, we, I put some thought into the design of these shirts and I know they're really simple, but as some brilliant person, let's just say Steve Jobs said one time, uh, simplicity is at many times more complicated. I'm, I'm losing myself in the quote. Anyways, they're simple and they're awesome. That's the point. They're actually so, really cool. Yeah, you should get them. Uh, we have two colors for men, two colors for women. You can go on to this link. So go to mtbpodcast.com. You can find the shirts there. You can get them. All proceeds from this, they don't go to anything other than making the mountain bike podcast more awesomer. Yeah. So right now we're using Trainer Road's microphones. Thank you, Trainer Road. If you've ever been the slow person on a ride or if you've ever been dropped, you should go to Trainer Road. And they'll make you faster. Sign up. Follow a training plan, you will get faster. And they have a good podcast too. It's not as good as ours, but <laughs> it's okay. It's really good. Yeah, it's actually so, really good. Um, so 
uh, we're using their microphones right now, but the funds from this will go into things like covering microphones or covering in Steven and I's costs when we go to races like TDS or anything else like that, yeah. or enabling us maybe to go to more races like that. Exactly. If we ever have time to travel more than yeah. we already do. So eventually we might. Yeah. At some point. So, uh, yeah, go on to mtbpodcast.com, check out the shirts, pick one up, pick one up for, uh, your significant other male or female. You have shirts for everything there. We're so. going to have onesies eventually. We need to do onesies. We do. For but some, anyway, that's for another little guy for another time. Uh, a couple of things really quick house cleaning. So from the last episode, we talked about bike maintenance. We didn't talk about bottom brackets. Steven, how often should you maintain your bottom bracket? It, I mean, really it depends when your bottom bracket starts making noise or not, you know, your cranks don't spin freely. You should look at it. Um, some people like to repack their sealed bearings. I don't because the seal on the outside of the bearing, it doesn't seal as good after you've repacked it. So that's a good point. And once the races wear in, there's really no fixing it. So right. I usually do bottom bracket and headset once a season. But if you have a press fit bottom bracket or BB30, you might find yourself doing it more often yeah. than something like a threaded bottom bracket. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a generalization. But, Very general. But that's that's what you will probably see. Yeah. So um, those bearings are just more exposed and more prone to slipping around all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, headset bearings is the other one we didn't cover. Uh, I've never needed to replace a headset more than once a season. Yeah, never. And it's sometimes I've even seen them go two seasons, three seasons, depending on how much someone rides it and how wet the conditions are and how, you know, how how they wash their bike or maintain their bike. So I just sold my, uh, my 2016 ASR frame yeah. off to somebody. Cause the 2017 is here and it's going to have a new look with some awesome decals, by the way, okay. stay tuned for that. So, um, all cool stuff, but I, that bike has a headset. Now keep in mind, I put a massive amount of time on that bike, right? Yeah. I also washed my bike with a pressure washer. Mm-hmm. Those, that headset was perfectly immaculate. Yeah. So it's did not need to be replaced. I guarantee you, I could have gotten at least another year out of it, you know? So uh, that's just what cleaning your bike regularly does. It'll help it. So, uh, that covers those ones. Uh, with that, Steven, let's get into the news. News time. News team, assemble! So first thing, uh, Rotor, we actually, that was one of the first places we stopped by when we went to Sea Otter, which we'll get into more Sea Otterness later on, but... Rotor has a Raptor MTB crank set. It's actually really cool. I kind of like this idea. I'm super against oval chain rings in a lot of cases. Right. For power output increases. I love the idea of torque smoothing. So torque delivery smoothing. Um, But the cool thing about this is it's not like with Absolute Black and all of the other different ovalized chain rings, you're stuck with whatever offset angle they give you. And the offset angle is where that ovalization is in relation to... There's Bucks Unlimited. Good old bucks on the Thanks, neighbor. Sorry. His mirrors were down, by the way. Yeah, good man. Yeah, good man. <laughs> um, it, they basically pick an angle where they want your ovalization to be in relation to the crank arm. Yep. Well, the cool thing about this new Raptor MTB crank is it gives you, f- you actually have five different settings of where you can do it, you know, where you can set it up. Mm-hmm. So depending on your muscle structure, you as an individual, how your pedal, and, you know, your pedal stroke is, you can set it up to actually smooth the torque and, you know, even that delivery out based on your body which it, here's the interesting part of, about that so rotor has software that will show the that will graph your pedal stroke for you yeah. and that's why this is like a complete full circle thing and it all makes logical sense but my problem with this so first of all i actually think 
I should get off of what my problem is first. One thing I think that is really cool is that it has basically like a center lock rotor. Yeah. It has a splined system. Yeah. So much easier. Before, they used to have big bolt holes all through it. Yeah. And you have to mount it that way. And those would always break. And mm-hmm. yeah. It was a bad, it, was, it wasn't an ideal system there. Yeah. But this is really nice, like that center lock spline system. Here's why I take umbrage with such a design. Uh, or not the, the actual design, but just the concept. Your body will adapt to put out power. Always. In whatever situation it's in. Yep. So what you may see is at first you'll be like, oh, wow, I need to change the, I'm going from round and I'm going to oval and I ride on their graphing stuff. Their spin so analysis. I'll, I'll ride it and then you'll see that, oh, okay, that means I need to rotate the oval chain ring in this area and that'll be perfect for me. That doesn't mean it's actually going to make it more efficient for you. No, not at all. That's the hard thing. And I think that oval chain ring companies need to just stop pushing the more biomechanically efficient part because your body adapts and your body is going to be putting out power to what it needs to do there. Exactly. If you want to talk about things to alter your training, honestly, put in a week of structure work, structured work, and you're going to go a whole lot faster than you would by changing to an oval ring. Yeah. Now, however, like you said in the beginning, the one thing that I think is awesome is well, two things. Number one, that spline design is just pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Number two, but the thing that I think is really that is good and effective about an overring is torque. Yeah. Or sorry, torque smoothing, basically yeah. smoothing out that delivery to the rear wheel as you yeah. pedal. So, yeah. But they, the one thing I can say about rotor stuff is it's it's so well made. Yeah, they're they from make, Spain. Good. They products. make everything in Spain. Everything is made there. They have like three engineers only that work for them. It's they're yeah. a good small company and they put out a really nice product. Super stiff crank arms. Yeah. Uh, really, really nice stuff. Yeah. So if anything, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic crank set. Yeah, and I do and love power meter. Yeah, and I do love the idea of. With that Raptor crank set, it's future proofed. So if you have a non-boost bike now, mm-hmm. you would get one spindle and the crank arms, mm-hmm. and then a chain ring. Well, when you go to a boost setup where you have to have that wider chain line, you can just get a new spindle that's set up for the boost bike. That's nice. So that's actually really cool. I like that that it kind of future proofs itself, mm-hmm. which is good. I like that too. Uh, speaking of cranksness, other crank things. Oh, lots of crank stuff. There's a lot. Race face. Yeah. They came out with a whole, well, a lot of things, but yes. uh, first thing they came out with was a power meter. Yes. Uh, we talked to them about this power meter. We did. And uh, this is something that is actually, although they told us initially that it was something they built in-house, I was wondering why RaceFace, a component company, would just have software developers hanging out, yeah. like not doing anything for years, and all of a sudden they do this. But uh, Teams uh, Watt is the name of the company. Yeah. They've done a few different Kickstarter power meters. They have a number of different designs, and this is a licensed design that they have to Easton, which is RaceFace. Yeah. And, uh, it's a, it's a good power meter. It is. So a uh, race face now is a power meter. I believe it's 500, either in 29, $529 or $579. Okay. Yeah. Or for the, I'm sorry for the power meter. Yep. And the cool thing is they make one for the mountain setup in the standard width. So everything yep. up until you get to like the plus bikes, they have that spindle. And then they also have the cross and road spindle mm-hmm. with power for the Easton EC 90 SL cranks. Right. So you can get it for both of them. Yeah, pretty handy. Yeah. Uh, it uses Bluetooth and Amp Plus, yep. which is great, um, which makes sense. That's par for the course. So that means you could pair it to something like Trainer Road without a single dongle, which yeah. is awesome. And a built-in rechargeable battery. So Yeah, more. it lasts for quite a while. It does. Um, like We're talking a long time. I thought like, it was like 1,800 miles or something. Something like that. Like that. Yeah. So it's plenty of time. 
So yeah, that part was cool. So that, the power meter that they released is awesome. So good to see more companies producing power meters and lowering the cost. Yep. But then they also did something pretty big. They released a totally new group set. Yeah, the, it's basically bridging the gap between the next SL line and the 6C line. Right. You know, you've got the next R. Mm-hmm. G4 cranks, you've got the next R, uh, which essentially, as they put it to me, the next R handlebars mm-hmm. are essentially the the current version of 6Cs, and 6C is going to get a remake. So, and to, to <clears throat> recap really quick, next SL is their lightest stuff. That's their XC and trail. Then um, it goes the new stuff, next R. Which is trail enduro. So a little gnarlier, a little tougher. Yeah. Then it goes to 6C. Which is their full downhill rated stuff. Yep. And the 6C cranks are still known as the world's lightest downhill rated carbon fiber crank set. They're awesome. They are very awesome. They're only like 500 and I remember my set was 520 grams with a chain ring. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And also, and we've covered this before, but number one, you're a very fast, strong, and capable rider. Um, you're an aggressive rider. And you also are not by any means a weight weenie, right? No. I mean, you're you're the rider that you're you're probably close to around two hundred, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm two hundred plus. I'm a Clydesdale. So at two hundred plus, you're riding a crank that weighs five hundred pound or five hundred grams. Yeah, and it's that, and it's rigid, and it's strong enough for yeah. you. That's and amazing. it's actually the strongest crank I've ever. It's pretty used. freaking cool. Yeah, I've so. bent every other crank set out there. Never bent one of those. That's awesome. Or broke one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, if you bent the carbon, that could be weird. I've never bent the spindle either. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, I've bent plenty of Cannondale spindles. (laughs) Yeah, that has happened. So, yeah, pretty cool to see uh, new wheels with that, too. Yeah, carbon Uh, fiber, tubeless ready, all... Uh, spokes front and rear are all the same length so yep. that's cool one spoke mm-hmm. there's your replacement super um, nice cool thing is they also have they they reversed and we did an i did an instagram story showing this mm-hmm. but the free hub body has the drive ring on it yep. and then the pawls are in the hub so if you ever break the drive ring or have any issues with that it's just part of it's nice it's part of the the actual free hub body that's replaceable yep. instead of junking a hub where normally your driver ring is pressed into that, like Mavic is notorious for some of those coming loose over yeah. times or over time, and so you're stuck with relacing a Smart. new hub into place. And so this is actually really cool. Kind of makes you think, why didn't that happen before? before. You know? yeah. yeah, and it allowed them. You know, they've got 120 points of engagement in that hub, so it's a three degree um, ratchet, which is better than our DT Swiss 54 tooth ratchets. It's yeah. on par with Industry Nine with Chris King full roulette table there. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> so it's it's and the cool thing is all standard off the shelf bearings in the front and rear hub. Pretty awesome. Nothing crazy, nothing out of the, you know, hey, we, you know, only Enduro makes a replacement and they're hard to find. Any bearing company, local bearing shop should carry the front and rear bearings. Totally should. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, something, uh, some, what else did you see, Stephen? The next thing on our list here that you saw there at Sea Otter that you liked? Um, well, I did see um, the K Edge MTB catcher. Yeah. They actually have their new, um, they're doing it for direct mount and then I believe a couple other mounts eventually, and also ISCG. Um, and it's basically a top side adjustable mount. Um, for chain catcher and yeah. K-Edge always does a really good job of engineering their They're stuff. Good. It's not plastic. It's not flexible. It's all billet CNC. It's built and designed in Idaho. Yeah. So it's all us made. 
and they just build really good stuff. They do. And, you know, I had their the chain catcher, the, the cross catcher on my Super X, mm-hmm. but that Super X is weird with that asymmetric integration offset on everything. Right. So their cross catcher, I actually had to modify on, I had to hmm. take it on a planer and, you know, I actually had to modify it to work on my Super X, and I sent them all the pictures and specs, and they're actually redesigning the cross catcher, the chain, you know, the CX off of single that. ring based off of the changes I made, and knowing that hey, there's specific bikes that this won't work with that they had no idea. They're an awesome company. They're a really cool company. I like them a lot. Yeah. So, um, and they're I can't recommend their GoPro mounts or their sorry GoPro or really Garmin mounts. You can get a hybrid mount for it, and it's just awesome. Yeah, so, they're phenomenal. DC Rainmaker. We spent some time with him there at Sea Otter. If yeah. you don't know who he is, go to DC rainmaker.com and uh he's like the go-to tech reviewer for cycling right and uh he only and he tests so many action cameras so many lights everything else and the only mounts are the mounts that he and he tests a lot of different mounts the mounts that he chooses to use because he has every single one of them is k-edge so that's says a whole lot right there so he's the authority on it yes sir uh steven when we were at sea otter we tried to record this episode and we sucked because we were exhausted. We were exhausted. It was after a really long day. You had ridden that morning. It was it was rough, man. And I was out in the sun all day talking to you know listeners and you know yeah. every vendor and bike company. And I was we were just out of it. Yeah. Which on that note, really quick, listeners, thank you for those that came up to us, recognized our voices yeah. or saw us. That was awesome. Yeah, so. it was actually really cool. We That's had awesome. um, Ian Massey from Trail Technique MTB. Yeah. He's uh, he does classes on learning how to mountain bike. Yep. And he like recognized us out of the blue. I don't think yeah. we've ever actually met him in person. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I've been to a coaching clinic with him before, yep. but we hardly even spoke there, you know, yeah. that they're kind of busy time. So, and yeah, plenty of other, it was awesome yeah. to, to meet all We had a bunch of Yeti fans. people, a bunch of yeah. random people. Yeah. You guys get to drink. We did finally say it. Yeah. Yeah. There you um, go. But we also, we just, yeah, it was really good. It's it was a, a good blast. Uh, when we recorded the podcast, we had some, some special guests with us. We had our friend, Neil stores, who has requested that he not be known as foul mouth Neil. So yeah. Sorry. We're not allowed to call him foul mouth. Neil <laughs> Sorry, Neil. So we're not going to call you that. You're fair mouth, Neil. How about yeah. that? <laughs> You're pretty mouth, Neil. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so let's move on from that. Yep. And uh, we had, and Neil works for 6D Helmets, an awesome company. Yep. Um, and he was doing a heck of a job out there uh, helping people understand why their helmets are different, along with Dominic, uh, who also works for 6D. And uh, we also then um, we had Trevor Roland. He's from Descendant Racing, so he runs that that enduro team out of San Luis Obispo. Uh, they're sponsored by Santa Cruz, by Art Cyclery, F- Art Cyclery, Fox, I think, as yeah. well. Um, as in like Fox Apparel, I think. Uh, and I, f- I forgive me for missing the other sponsors there, Trevor. But awesome guy, shredder of a rider, podcast listener too. So. We sat down, had a roundtable conversation with them, and what we're going to do here is kind of cut together the highlights. Um, Trevor talking about some short travel 29ers, because there were a lot of racers on those. Yep. And then also Dominic giving a bunch of info on 60 helmets, which I think is really cool. Because they're doing things a lot different than other helmet companies out there, which is really good, and I think people need to understand. You know, your, your noggin is what allows you to ride bikes and allows you to make a living and allows you to everything be a human. 
So it's kind of an important piece <laughs> yes. to everything. Being human So let's is take care of our noggins. Yes, uh, they're doing good <clears throat> stuff. He broke that down, and uh, we chatted with Neil about a bunch of different stuff. So we're going to cut that up. You can listen to that really quick right now, and we will then continue with some more Sea Otter stuff after this. Trevor, you were noticing the fact that some of the top Enduro guys, they aren't on like gnarly Enduro bikes, which Sea Otter is an easier course, but still... It's kind of a change, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always been the dude riding the short travel bike, and everyone's yeah. always made fun of me. So now <laughs> I'm just like, hey, what up? Like, look at all these guys <laughs> running. So do you it. know, I'm just pumped to see people run, running the short travel bikes. And I mean, I'm super curious to see. It seems like there's like guys running what, like Jared Graves or yeah, Curtis, Curtis Keen, Keen. They're was on, on the camber. I th- we think Jared Graves is on the camber, but it's hard to tell between that and the stumpy because the frame's more or less the same other than the link. Totally, but the yeah. fork definitely looked a little bit bigger. Right. You know, maybe they're running like 150 forks on the camber, which that's cool. seems wild, super interesting. Um, right. But yeah, I've been running like a 5010 for everything. The Santa Cruz, yeah. Yes, it was just like 130. And I don't know. It's just cool to see all those Yeti guys on that bike, but running yeah. like 160, 170 forks. And, right. It's uh, the way to... I think that it's honestly the thing that most of us should be doing in terms of buying a bike. And I say most of us being like everybody listening to this podcast, like chance. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Trevor, like I actually am an advocate for less travel in a lot of cases because it's going to make for a more efficient bicycle, not just in pedaling, but when you have less travel to work with, you get a kind of a tighter, more responsive or supportive feeling out of your bike as well. And for the majority of the riding we do, we actually don't need all that travel. So you just get a bike that is more playful, more fun, and yeah, just better off. Totally. And like <clears throat> you have guys buying these long travel bikes that work well for like 10% of the race course. Right. And I it's like, that's, yeah, yeah, that bike is good for that like 10 second rock garden. But what about the like fire road sprint before that? Right. You yeah. know? And that's, we were actually talking to Dylan Santos about that um, yeah. earlier this weekend, the same concept. You know, people are kind of over gunning for, you know, 10% of the race. Yeah. And the rest of it, they're actually losing. So what are you actually making up in yeah. a race by having that big of a bike? And don't get me started on that whole concept. It's yeah. like people that buy camping trailers and they go camping once a month. They're paying a mortgage on the thing to go camping one weekend. It's like crazy, right? Yeah. We all do that. So um, yeah, why not go smaller? Totally. Yeah. And I mean, right? I, I've never, I had a Bronson and I had that and like I was getting better like times on my short travel bike and I'm like, why do I have this thing? Right. And then I rode a downhill bike and I was like, cause before I was like, Oh, like this is Bronson's like the same as a downhill bike. And I rode a downhill bike and I was like, Whoa, like I do <laughs> very just, different, like nose case into the rock garden and and it's, it's just fine. It's fine. You just get away with murder. Yeah. Polarize it. Right. Yeah. And like the quiver bike thing, like I know a lot of people go for that, but I'm all for actually just polarizing things. If you're looking for a bike that you can use every day, go for one that's shorter travel. And then if you're looking for one that wants to do really gnarly stuff, just get something that's full on gnarly. Exactly. Like instead of the jack of all trades, like get a bike that's really good at what it's made to do. Yeah. And on the gnarly side of things, you don't have to build a super light, expensive bike either. You can get like an older bike, something that's not even like brand new off the showroom floor. It doesn't have to have like crazy expensive light components if it's a gnarly or like, you know, downhill style bike. What are you trying to say? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. There's a lot to say there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I just have a really expensive Yeti. That it's true. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's that that bike is beautiful. It's an exception. Yeah. Yeti. 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 <laughs> yeti. So Neil, 
you, and this isn't on the product side of things, but you guys, your 60 booth is right next to uh, Danny or a spot where Danny McCaskill is doing a demo, right? Yeah, it, it's pretty cool to grow up being a trials rider and then getting to see somebody that's become a cultural icon as far as the sport of trials goes. He's really taken it to the next level and actually made it something popular that people want to watch. It's pretty coming sweet. From, yeah, coming from our original background, it's this is something people are stoked to see is versus watching a moto trial or a bicycle trial. Most people are like, eh, they're just yeah. kind of over it. But he draws a crowd and what an incredibly pleasant guy to talk to, just so yeah, down right? to earth. Just, you could not find a better person who's that famous. It's pretty impressive. He is so nice. He really is. It's crazy. He's just like the nicest, most friend. Like, there there are people stopping him all over the place, and it's not as if they're stopping and interrupting his day. That's what he's there for. He's happy to talk to everybody. Yeah. And it's not because he's paid to do it. You can tell. He's just genuinely kind. He's, he's yeah. cool. It's one of those things you wish every one of your heroes that you think about was like that, but you know that just a majority of them just aren't going to be that way. And right. It's really sad to see people aren't that stoked on what they're doing, but that right. guy is so happy doing what he does. Dom, let's let's talk to you about 60 helmets really quick. So um, the first time I saw a 60 helmet, I, I actually didn't, I don't even think I saw what it looked like, the exterior. I think I saw like the actual unique design to it first. And when I saw this, I remember talking to my brother and being like, somebody's doing what we've been talking about for a long time. Because I'm sure it's a great idea. So many people have it. That's kind of how it works, right? Of course. But you guys have executed on it. Um, so what, a couple things. So I've, I've had a lot of head injuries, as is probably apparent through the podcast. But <laughs> I've had a lot of head injuries from motocross over the years. <clears throat> and Neil spent a lot of time riding motocross, too. And he's had a lot of head injuries as well. <laughs> yeah. Says the guy who stutters into the mic. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So all of us, uh, we went through a long period where we had really terrible helmets growing up. And basically when I say a terrible helmet, it usually had like a polycarbonate shell, meaning a plastic shell, and then, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it would just have a plastic shell and then a layer of foam underneath. And then it might have like a, a fabric liner, right? And that was pretty much it. And then we got into, like later on, I started getting showy helmets, uh, and they had like a dual density foam and other helmets like that. And dual density foam started to become commonplace. So what I mean by that is that like, if you're talking like, think of your, uh, the helmet in your head, like a jawbreaker, which probably isn't that pleasant to think about, but, uh, if your head's the inside, the core working outward from that, you have the fabric liner. Then next, next in your once again we're working outward. Next from that, you'll have a like a soft or a low density foam that can crunch pretty easily. And then out from that, you'll have a high density foam that is more supportive and more harsh, but it'll also support you in the case of like a harder impact. And then you'll have the outer shell of the helmet, and it's good. It helps, but then you guys, you have a different layer in there. Um, and, and hopefully we can explain this so that people can actually visualize it. Cause of course we're doing this through the, through the power of words instead of sight, but and hopefully I think this is Dom's job. So I think he might be able to, he's be able to do it. I think he's got it. <laughs> so let's can, hope so. Can you explain what your helmet uses and, and what it looks like or how it functions so we can visualize it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the easiest and most common way to break it down in layman's terms is honestly, it's suspension for your head. Um, you know, a traditional helmet, as you mentioned, is a single monolithic piece of EPS foam. Uh, it's your beer styrofoam cooler at the end of the day. Um, we, all well, have, we all have coolers on our yeah. heads. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so um, our two founders put their heads together, and basically um, they took the concept of uncoupling um, the outer shell from the inner shell 
um, you know, and, you know, it's separated by an array of dampers, um, you know, and that's both on our trail and our full face DH. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a, overall, it's a different take and a different look at, uh, how to, you know, solve the problem of concussions. Nobody has a concussion proof helmet today. Um, but you know, as we're seeing with the NFL and everybody else, uh, it's, you know, a problem and, you know, something that, we got to solve as, uh, you know, bikes, as you guys are talking about from sea otter are getting bigger and faster and, right. uh, and, and along with the athlete, you know, so does the protection that's got to, you know, come with it. So your helmet. So once again, we're talking, working outward, you have your head, you have the liner that's like the fabric liner. And then do you guys have like a low density foam? Yeah. So, well, it's, uh, depending on the helmet, it, it could be different, but, um, yeah, w- you know, we try to, uh, often use the same density for both, um, uh, EPS liners. Okay. Um, but yeah, so working out, you, you, you know, in inward out, you have the comfort liner, uh, you know, one layer of EPS, which, um, like on the full face, it's got in molded, uh, cups, it's got a rubberized damper and then meeting another, um, you know, in molded cup into the outer exterior, um, EPS liner, and then obviously a shell, um, on the DH, uh, side, that's a three K, um, carbon weave, uh, shell. The typical carbon pattern you see, like the checkered pattern that you see, that's what three K is. Yes. In a sense. I mean, there's a lot of other brands out there that will, uh, put their exterior layer Mm. as that carbon, but they'll often, put you know a tri-composite of some sort of matrix that they'll set up ahead of time in there and call it carbon ours is truly a full carbon mold through and and through a lot of times you'll find like actually like a cloth fiberglass braid underneath and then just a layer of carbon on the outside more for visual effects carbon looks fancy because carbon looks fancy and coming from the automotive world that's mostly what a lot of carbon fiber really is until you get to really expensive stuff so seeing that you guys are using a full carbon matrix layup that's actually really awesome so yeah um, so I'm going to describe the moto helmet, which is the moto and downhill helmet. Does it have the same design at all or is it different? Very, very much so. Um, you know, some of the small uh, differences would be the certifications. Um, and that's what people often, you know, are asking or wanting to, you know, if they want to go both ways kind of thing. So, right. Um, but yeah, on the DH side, we open everything up way more. We have, you know, there's no penetration test, which is on the DOT side. You don't have a right. 200 pound dirt bike chasing you down kind of thing <laughs> yeah thank goodness so um yeah we're able to open up the vents and ports and um and then also the uh field of view is vastly important okay so with looking at this then i'm gonna talk about like i'm gonna try to visualize what it looks like those little you mentioned the rubber dampers and if everybody can visual visualize a cone and we're talking about like an actual cone shape right and that cone uh, take one, take that same cone, flip it on its head so that basically you have two cones that come together and they're skinny in the middle and they flare out at the end, right? So there's like... Hour, hourglass shape, basically. Hourglass shape, perfect. Yep. In the center of that hourglass shape, it's rubber and it allows it to compress inward, but it also allows it to move laterally as well. Correct. So basically, if you were to hit the ground, because a lot of the time, a lot of impacts or concussions are probably, or are caused, so I hear... It's by the glancing blows, or, or I would say, like kind of like an angular impact. Is that correct? You're you're exactly right. Is uh, you know the number one cause in um, concussions is often the angular or rotational impacts, um, and that's exactly what our 
two co-founders set out to do um, was to address just that. Um, our helmet through that hourglass shape. And then it's a little bit different on the uh, three-quarter shell trail helmet. Um, right. It's still use, utilizing a damper. Um, it's just more of a conical shape kind of thing. Right. Um, our, you know, like you said, though, it's designed to mitigate and manage that energy, um, especially in the rotational impacts, um, you know, in a sense, uh, when you look at the human, you know, makeup, that is similar, very similar to what our helmet is. Whether it's the, you know, the brain, the skull, um, and the cerebral fluid, it's all designed to manage that, and you don't want that sloshing around. And that's exactly what our, you know, setup is designed to address. Yeah, it's pretty smart. I, I can't help but think that, and I know that you guys have a business going with your helmet, but I almost wish that this was like a licensed thing to so many more helmets. Cause like, think of, cause I guarantee you that would have saved me from like a number of concussions having that like separation layer like that. Cause, and, and people talk about MIPS, and I won't let you talk about MIPS because Uh-oh. you guys are competitors here <laughs> kind of with that technology, but uh, MIPS and a bicycle helmet, I'm not keen on. Like, it's, it don't, it's not bad. But it's just not like for me. It's nothing to spend extra money on. Yeah. And once again, this isn't me like actually giving you purchasing advice. This is me talking about my opinions. So <laughs> separate those two, please. But the reason for that is because if you look at MIPS in a dirt bike helmet, it does separate more than just like the simple little plastic layer that allows it to slide in one direction or another that you have on a bicycle helmet. And uh, to see you guys incorporating a layer that actually has like rubber, those dampers or there's probably better ways to say it but how it actually does allow for like better separation and absorption makes sense man yeah and the big thing that i find with with mips and i do ride a mips helmet currently yeah but the thing that i find is that the glancing blows and deflection of energy yeah i can see mips helping some right but the and my physics professor is going to kill me for this sorry excuse my language <laughs> bleeps. But, bleeps um but the deceleration factor mm-hmm. on an impact with, with a straight impact <clears throat> the the ability for those rubber conical the hourglass um rubber inserts to be able to slow the outer shell down and as it approaches the inner shell and basically absorb and deflect that energy into the eps like really seems to be a far better solution Oh yeah, in my opinion, I, agree I, I like too. the idea a lot. Yeah. So, so if I can, I'll chime in on, and I'll be nice. Um, but in all honesty, so MIPS, like just like you explained, Stephen, was it's a one-dimensional slip plane. Yes. Um, its ideal striking angle is at forty-five. Um, you know, when you start having a direct-on linear impact, and say you're landing straight on the top of your head, it's virtually a credit card on top of your head. What's that? Yeah. Then you're just up. then you're just relying on your two your low and high density EPS you know layers. It's just like certain, a non MIPS yeah, helmet. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not changing anything. Yeah. So all it does is improve some glancing blows, like you said, at a forty five degree. And when I fall, I'm not thinking about what angle of impact you know is going to be <laughs> ideal for not. my head. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's I'm think just about crash. this here. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Let's reposition myself so I can fall safely. Yeah. 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 That rarely happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's really good to see, and I want to see more helmets having stuff like this. Um, I know that there are some companies coming out with similar systems to try to deal with that. Like, and and honestly, the more the better. Um, I want to see more of this because having had injuries and everything else, then also having a son that's ten months old now, like I look at it, and I'm just like, man, I want him to remember his childhood instead of like me, where I don't have so many. You know, I don't have many years of memories because yeah. of head injury. 
All right, Stephen. So now that we've covered that stuff that we all talked about there, let's get into the Marin Wolf Ridge. Uh, so this bike is one that we heard people talking about sharing a lot of stoke on, and we looked at the bike and we thought, huh, that looks familiar. <laughs> so what essentially Marin did, and they hired Nailed, to do the the same suspension as the Polygon EX. Isn't that like NA1L3D? Something like that. Something, It's yeah. whatever they did that was cool yeah. in the 90s where yeah. you did threes yeah. and yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Elite, like 3133T. Or 3 light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, so the swing arm is essentially the same as the Polygon. It is the same. But... And the actual little stanchion assembly that they have in there. It's the um, same. But don't tell, don't tell Marin that. But as Marin <laughs> stated, the kinematics of how the suspension is supposed to work is actually totally different I don't know than how the that polygon. Would, I don't know how that would happen. And I'm not sure because you look at the entire upper and lower linkages and everything like that. And I'm sorry, barring grabbing a ca- pair of calipers and physically measuring it, it looks identical. I actually overlaid both bikes now granted they were from slightly different perspectives but i overlaid both bikes at like 50 percent opacity in photoshop and looked yeah. at it it's the same back end yeah so essentially are we saying that the wolf ridge is marin saying "Ooh, us too we have a new cool bike and it's see that's what it looked like that's what it looked like and we don't want to say that yeah but that's what it seems like and that's the bummer right like so polygon hit so hard on the marketing with the, the previous or with when they released the whatever the name of that bike is, yeah, with the crazy swing arm, the EX19 or something, Ooh, yeah, EX91, whatever. something, whatever it is, some stuff, yeah. And the marketing oversold it way too much, yeah, in my opinion, yeah. It should they should not have been calling it unprecedented. It looked different, but they should not be talking about the action of the bike being unprecedented. No. Uh, they should not be talking about zero anti-squat being unprecedented. Or like, negative anti-squat. That's negative, not impressive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Bad. Yeah. So it's, it's, and we're not saying that it's a bad bike, no. but we're saying that the marketing oversold it, right? Yes. And, but it made a big splash and everybody wanted to see that polygon and it was a unique looking design. And then when Marin just comes out with the same back end mated with a different front triangle, it just looks like a me too, right? And here's here's what we were talking about, like Marin. I'm, I'm, I'm I have a clenched fist he right fist. now. He actually like, has a fist. Up yeah, right like now. Marin, you need to motivate us, right? Yeah, you're where mountain biking was born. You should be pure soul, and like especially with the rebirth and rebranding of Marin bikes, right? Like you should be the epicenter of innovation for mountain biking in my mind, because like you are at the core, yeah. of where it started. So when I see that, you know, you just license out a different suspension design that doesn't communicate that. That doesn't say, hey, our engineers are spending lots of time and lots of money building a bike that we want to ride. Right. That we find new and innovative, not, hey, let's just call another company and put a swing arm onto a new frame. Now, granted, we, it's, it, it behooves us to mention the fact that a lot of suspension or a lot of bike companies have contracted suspension of designs. Course. Yeah. Dave Weagle <clears throat> practically owns 99% of mountain bikes. If you're to talk about their suspension designs, yeah, if you really want to get down. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there is a lot of that, but for such a unique design and then to release it so soon after, um, I almost wonder if this was something where like both of them worked with nailed and then polygon was the one that just like made it happen quicker. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is, but 
I guess getting away from all of that, I bet it rides well. And that's what everybody says so far. You know, yep. uh, all of the friends of the podcast, you know, um, Amy Morrison, uh, Corey Sullivan, Evan G. and Coplis, like all of the Marin riders that we know personally yeah. love the bike so far. Kyle right. Warner loves the bike. Right. So that's not a bad thing. But here's I bet the, it rides well. Yeah. yeah. So, but here's the funny part. All they did is they found that this suspension happens to have a negative anti-squat characteristic. So what they do is on the Flodex 2 that's on the back of that bike, they have the compression setting set to full, like soft as it can go to make the suspension feel plush, which is like, okay, well, you just went a different direction to get the same output with a different suspension kinematic. So let's describe that. Anti-squat means that the suspension does not squat or rest low into its... It would it would not rest low into its travel, right? It would want to sit higher up in its travel. Yes. Uh, Yetis are pr- famous. The uh, Switch Infinity design they they have a good amount of anti squat, right? Because yeah. they don't sit really far down into the travel. Your your Jekyll very much the opposite. Your Jekyll sits into its travel. It's the anti squat king almost. Yeah, yeah. Especially the old or Jekyll, it's the squat king. It is. You could say yeah, the squat uh, yeah. king. Yeah. Sorry. So. <clears throat> this bike is saying that it sits very high in its travel. That's why you have to run very, very loose compression damping or or very, you know, low compression damping is because you need it to be initially plush. The problem that I see with that is if you're, and they do have that shock completely dialed in one direction. Yep. They even have like rebound damping. What was, they said it with the rebound damping that they're also like, uh, I can't remember that they have like, basically the shock is tuned all the way in one direction. Yeah. And one thing that I have always been told, and it makes sense to me is that if you have a device that can be adjusted in one direction or another, and you constantly keep it in one and all the way on one side, instead of somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. that means that you should probably redesign the shock. Yeah. Right. Cause that, that's, that's the thing. So then you can actually have more adjust adjustability and change that. Yeah. So it's just a really interesting design, and this happens a lot when there are like new sus- rear suspension designs. Shocks aren't really made specifically for that. That's why you see a company like Jekyll or Cannondale design a custom shock like the Dyad or anything else. The new have. Gemini, yeah. Yep, because they have a unique suspension design that just a compression tune on a shock that you get from Fox or Rock Shocks is not going to be sufficient. They have to take matters into their own hands and, and go a little deeper. Yeah. So uh, I feel like this bike is probably going to have a different shock on it in the next couple of years. I think so too. You know? Um, but it is a cool looking bike. And everybody, like we said, everybody seems to like it so it far. Probably so probably rides is really good. well. Yeah. So uh, moving on from that and also to a little bit of product stuff, Lord's DH race is happening. It's in France. Uh, the first, <laughs> yes, that's French. Yes. We have that's very French good. for I'm pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> the first round of the world cup series is going on. Uh, so Aaron Gwynn, Greg Menard, Loic Bruni, the whole crew, they'll be going at it. It's going to be interesting to see. And pink bike is currently on fire. Dude. Windmasters track walk <laughs> was so great. So but good. Yeah. Anyway, Win, sorry. Wind TV is the best. It is. Um, but the, the, all of pink bike is currently aflame because Greg Menar is on a 29er Santa Cruz V10. It's like the world is ending. It's the, the downhill apocalypse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I've actually seen that like it's become, but it's kind of like a train wreck. You just can't look away. No. And there are people even commenting on every article on pink bike. 
like it isn't about a 29er downhill bike and they say not a 29er downhill bike i'm moving on so, yeah seriously so yeah it's it's taking it over yep. and the reason is because 26 or downhill has kind of been like the sanctuary like the final home for 26 for a Which, long time or downhill is well been, but right? that's the thing nobody really even makes a 26 inch downhill bike anymore they've I know. all gone to 27.5 yeah you know, i think that the norco aurum was like the last bike that i even knew about that was like oh in 2015 it's still a 26 inch yeah. bike and they and, finally went 27.5 but and now the uh, greg menar is on the v10 that's a, and it's a 29er v10 yeah. so that's santa cruz's downhill bike and i guarantee you before end of year we'll see a couple more brands have something like that yeah. and next year i bet we're going to see a lot of them and the year after that i bet the majority of downhill bikes are going to be 29ers well and it's funny because uh, the the 29 inch thing with downhill bikes, there's a couple companies that do make them little boutique brands. Um, but there's been prototypes out for a while, yep. you know, and I say a while is in a few months, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, there's that Trek session 29 that's been out. And I guess they were, um, I forget which riders were testing it, but they were pulling average of like three seconds faster per lap Yep, on the same conditions, same everything, just it's a 29 versus 27, five. And they were yep. killing Here's why I think that the timing is right for this. Um, we've had some time for wheel design to come a long way. Yes. We're getting wider designs. The rims are getting a little stronger. They're getting boostier. They're, yes, yeah. they're getting boostier. <laughs> We're also um, more asymmetrical patterns or just like interesting, you know, like uh, spacing or dishing on these wheels yeah. that's happening. In other words, we're understanding how to make a wheel more strong. Yes. Because my biggest concern with a 29er, what, because really we got the geometry figured out. We know how to make a 29-inch wheel bike handle really well. Yes. That part's out of the way. That was the old thing that a lot of people talked about. Everyone always talks about the benefits of rollover capabilities of a 29er. Sure, it's there, whatever. But... Um, the interesting downside to a 29 has always been the fact that it's like you're on a big old pinwheel and that thing can flex. Yeah. But since wheel designs have gotten better and now, frame designs and frame designs, frame construction, yeah, it, it makes sense to put a wheel that's going to carry more momentum. Yeah. Uh, on a bike where momentum is absolutely key. Yeah. Where these guys are fighting for speed and they can't pedal their way out of it. Yep. You know, it's, it does make more sense. Yeah. They're nimble. They are not slow handling bikes like everybody thinks they are. Yeah. Um, if they haven't ridden them, they're and the wheels are getting strong. So, and the beauty of this that I look at it is if if they're getting to the point in wheel technology where they can build a twenty nine inch wheel that's safe for downhill and strong enough for downhill, that actually means a lot for the guys riding cross country because yes. now your strong wheels are going to get stronger and lighter and lighter because of what they're learning on the downhill side. Exactly. So we're that's all actually pretty benefit. cool. Yeah, we're all going to benefit from it. Yeah. So that's going to be going on this Sunday. You can catch it on Red Bull TV. Uh, check it out. And and you can, uh, yeah, just keep your eyes out. It's going to be interesting to see how everyone does first round. Also, it's calling for not uh, 50, not 60, not 70, 80, or 90, but 100%, 100% chance of precipitation. Yay, because the snow and, just melted there, so it might as well rain on them. Yeah, and it's, um, so it's it's slick, it's rooty, yeah. it's rocky, it's a gnarly course. It is. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some carnage. Some good crash footage. Yep. Uh, so that's Lords that's happening and 29ers. So apocalypse is going on there. Yeah. Uh, one more thing that was released this week was SRAM. The one question I oh, had though, yeah. is with Lords with how bad all this is going to be. Yeah. Did the French government already surrender 
Or are they going to wait until the end of the race? (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Hopefully we don't have any listeners from France. (laughs) Uh, If we do, we apologize. Only in jest. Um, SRAM released their code breaks. They did. So Avid codes were the last ones. Uh, Avid is no more. Uh, It's just been rebranded as SRAM because Avid got such a bad name with their old design. Yeah. So, uh, But the guide breaks have really changed things around. They're good breaks. And so Um, have the levels. Yep. And now... I don't know what's happening outside, but now they have released the code breaks as a downhill break. Yeah. Now this, it looks very similar to the guide, but it has a unique system. It basically makes it so that the, the pads sit about a millimeter away from the rotor, ideally, and you can change that with contact adjust, Yep. but they sit about a millimeter away. Let's assume at that point, when you grab your lever, it has a cam in the lever that changes actually that that ratio is going to change for how much you move your lever and how much the pads change. Yeah. So initially is when you move that lever a tiny bit, it moves the lever or moves the pads very quickly. It's, it's very similar to Shimano servo wave. Exactly. And hopefully it just doesn't do the silly thing where it clicks when you're not, when you're not, using the brakes anymore. So helpful. Um, silly Shimano, but (laughs) then after that, the cam works so that you actually can like pull the brake in a little bit more. It's not quite so instant off and on. You actually have more modulation. Yes. So they report that the modulation is awesome. Uh, so Ryan from bike mag uh, did a review and he talked about how these are the best modulating brakes he's ever felt. So absolutely loved them, which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. They're heavy. They are 433 grams, and if you look at like a Guide RSC or a Guide Ultimate, they're like 360 grams. Yep. So it is considerably heavier. Yep. Um, but they also did redesign the S4 piston or the caliper assembly. The caliper, yeah. So instead of a, a front, the front pistons in the caliper on the left and the right were 16 millimeters, mm-hmm. and then the rears were smaller at 14 millimeters. And, right. And there's a reason they do that, and I don't want to get too techy into that and why they do that, but that's actually something that automotive brakes have done for years in racing applications. But what they did is they took that 14 mil piston and moved to a bigger 15 mm. um, for the, the codes. And so uh-huh. that so that allowed for more braking force. So if you look at the yep. diameter of the piston, you have more surface area of piston with oil pushing on it, yep. and that allows for more, more brake force. force. And then the you know the caliper itself being bigger and chunkier, it's not going to flex as much like the guide RSCs. I know do. how they could save weight. They <clears> could get rid of the brake pads and just have the pistons press into the rotors. What do you think? Is that a real idea? <laughs> no, it is not. Okay, good. It's a terrible idea. Um, anyways, so good breaks. They're coming out, and uh, keep your eye out for them. Yeah. So they have like the full range now. They have level for XC. They have guide for trail enduro, and then they have code for full and downhill. So. I see a lot of enduro riders probably going to code brakes though. Oh, totally. So, yeah. I think these things are going to be huge with they're enduro. Huge. Yeah. Like XC guys are going to be on level, and then I think that they're just going to have codes. Yeah, and then I think they'll have to redesign the guides. Like exactly. I basically, I, maybe they'll end up just trickling everything down to guide, and then codes will just get absolutely gnarly. I don't yeah. know, but who knows? Something happened there. Uh, last bit of news that we're going to cover this weekend: the long-awaited. TDS is going Dirty on. Sanchez Enduro. It is. Uh, at the Sanchez Ranch over in Nevada City, California, Grass, Grass Valley, Valley, California. Uh, we're going. Yes. I am going to be putting out a bunch of Instagram content from it live. Steven will also be doing the same thing because you're not racing, Steven. No. Well, you're not racing a bicycle. I'm going to beat all of them <laughs> with my 1,000cc 
Polaris Ranger High Lifter Edition. Thank you, Polaris. That's Polaris Off-Road Vehicles. Yeah. Yes, pretty awesome of them to loan us some some Rangers for that. Yep. Uh, for the whole event, they're supporting the whole event, which and is awesome. And the whole Semper Fi Fund afterwards, that whole ordeal. So yeah, it's going to be cool. Way to go, Polaris. That's awesome. Uh, so anyways, this for anyone that doesn't know, this Enduro is an invite-only Enduro Yes, that takes place in the western Sierra, in the foothills, yep. um, just northwest of Sacramento, or northeast of Sacramento. Yes. So these trails, they are rocky in spots. They're rocky in a lot of spots. They're really, really sticky red clay dirt Yep. when it's dry. And it's, it's going to be like hero dirt to mudish, maybe? Do you I think? think it's going to be hero dirt because it yeah. rained there yesterday. And a bit today. And a bit today. Mm-hmm. So by tomorrow for practice, it's probably going to be a little bit sloppy. Probably going to clean your bikes after practice tomorrow. Yeah. And then Saturday, Sunday, as long as it holds out like it's looking, it's going to be hero dirt. It's, it's going to be, be pretty great good, man. Week. And this race always has some pretty top talent. Marco Osborne will be there. Yes. Uh, Jerome Clement won't fast. be this year. He won't be this year. No, he's doing some other bike festival in Europe right now. Gotcha. So we'll have some fast, uh, riders on the female side as well. Yes. We're going to have, uh, we're actually gonna have a lot of fast riders this year and it's a lot of the regional mm-hmm. well-knowns and even national level. Yeah. Um, we're not going to have, I don't think there's going to be anybody international like EWS level. Right. Um, well, Beyond like Marco Osborne's right. and Marco know, those guys local as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So we're gonna have some of the the Yeti Betties. There's a few of them that are gonna be there. But then you're gonna have your usuals like Ryan Gardner, who's a um, he's a Bay Area guy. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have um, who else? You're gonna have Derek Teal, who's fast. You're gonna have the most of like Derek all of the Marin. Derek is the the enduro trainer, right? Dude, he is. Yeah, his video. Everyone should follow him on Instagram. If you look up Derek Teal, you can find it. And it's T E E L. Yeah, he has some absolutely hilarious. And uh, he's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's funny. hilarious videos on there. <laughs> yeah. And he also gives out awesome training advice. By he does. the way, y'all should look him up. He's certified personal trainer. He's a good dude. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, and he's just friendly as can be too. Yeah. So there's going to be some fast, uh, fast guys and gals there. It's 85 racers total. Sheesh. Yeah. And I will be taking photos of this event too, which will be fun for me. Yeah. This will be my first event officially covering like that, which yeah. will be fun. Uh, so we'll have a bunch of photos there and we're going to also be recording a podcast. So within the next 48 hours, Steven, we'll Another be recording one. a podcast live there at TDS. Yeah. And we're going to have um, a bunch of the Cannondale WTB guys. So we're going to have, first of all, Ron Sanchez will be on. Yeah, he's we're going to have Marco, of Sanchez Ranch. Of Sanchez Ranch. We're going to have Marco Osborne. Yep. Of, you know, all of his infamous fame. <laughs> infamous famous <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever that um, is, yeah. And then we're going to have Mark Weir, who is, you know, legend. WTB's resident bad. Yeah, and legend. Then, yeah, legend. Yeah. Um, and then we're also going to have Jason Mosler, who is WTB's OE product manager. So if you have a bike with a saddle or tires or something that's from WTB that came that way, he's the one who brokered that deal. Pretty sweet. So he's a good dude. So really good dude and a really good athlete. He won Downeyville All Mountain last year. Nice. So we're going to talk a little bit about enduro racing and tactics with those guys. And then we're also going to talk with Ron about holding an enduro event, what it takes, everything else like that. Um, Because I personally think that with time, we are going to see, uh, I guess, less centralization of events. And I think that you're going to see more events like TDS popping up and more people sanctioning or holding their own events. So I think Ron's just ahead of the curve with him. So it'll be interesting. Uh, With that, Stephen, let's head into the questions. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. That's debatable. 
First one is from Riley. Says, hey guys, I have a 2015 Giant Trance 2 that I've upgraded to 150 mils of travel and a 1x11. I'm 5'5 and run a small frame. I've been having an issue that when I'm riding super steep climbs, my front wheel likes to lift up a bit. I was thinking about changing the stem or seat position, but wanted to see if you had any advice on it. Also, and actually, let's let's just cover that really quick. So first of all, Giant Trance 2. That's like a trail bike, but small on the side of travel even for a trail bike. Yeah. Yep. And he went up to a 150 travel fork. So he only added 10 millimeters from what was stock on the bike. Right. Um, so, you know, I look at that bike and I'm thinking, okay, well, it already has a 67 degree head tube angle. Um, I don't necessarily think that going to 150 was a good thing. Yeah. Essentially because what he did is that is helping cause that front wheel lift. Yep. That is. Yeah. And that's the thing. So basically, uh, with your bike, I would recommend with your trance going down to 140. That would be my personal suggestion, but obviously that's an equipment change. Yeah. Here's some things that you can do now that you have that 150 fork on there. Yes. Basically, look at where your mass is centered on the bike. Yeah. So uh, make sure that your your sit bones are anchored into the saddle, first of all. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you are not firmly planted on your saddle, your weight will probably be shifting fore and aft with your pedal stroke. And as a result that can create, get, get things, make things a little light in the loafers, if you will, up there in the front. Yeah. So you'll want to make sure that that your sit bones are planted and that's keeping your weight more stable. Then look at all the weight that you have in your chest, shoulders, and head. Uh, up in that region, if you can drop that down, that's lowering a lot of weight and it's also moving it further forward. So you don't want to go too far forwards that you're folded in half and you can't breathe. And, uh, you know, you're, you have no control over the bike, but lowering that a bit will, will help, uh, significantly also relax with your arms. Yeah. I see so many people like pulling super hard on their handlebars, you know, and, and kind of anchoring themselves with that. And that's how they kind of transfer more torque through the bike when they're pedaling. And I get that when it's a survival technique, you know, but if you can, always just ride your bike through your legs yeah, push and through, through your, your sit torso. bones and your torso and yep. keep your core holding up your weight. Something to remember is that every single muscle contraction going on in your body, when you're trying to pedal your bike, if it is not aiding in pedaling your bicycle, that is a loss of energy. Yes. Uh, any type of muscle contraction requires energy. It's a hole in the hose. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> so if you really want to channel everything through those pedals, cause it's difficult, that's the time to relax your face, not to grit your teeth. That's the time to not put a pain face on, but to make, just let your face go limp. Uh, and that's not the time certainly to be gripping your handlebars and pulling really hard with your upper body. Exactly. That's the time to relax. Yep. So, and just really push it through the legs. That's what you need to do. So yeah. uh, that's what I'd recommend there. Uh, says, and then, uh, you also mentioned Riley about suspension design. Uh, man, I feel like we covered that one pretty extensively. We though. really did. We covered the giants really well. Yes. Yeah, so you can go back, uh, into the archives and listen to that uh, a few episodes back. And then, uh, the, you say last thing, if I come out to Reno area to ride, what are your favorite trails and will you ride with me? Yeah. Yes, we will. Always. That'll be fun. Uh, and yeah, uh, Galena is probably our favorite area in Reno, would you yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Good go-to after work rides. Yep. Perfect spot. Peavine's getting a lot better too. It's more barren desert, but there are a lot of trails on Peavine. Yeah. And you can find some chunky stuff out there too. Yeah. So uh, to use that 150 mil fork that you have on there. Absolutely. Uh, so those are our favorites. Uh, thanks for the podcast. Keep up the good work. I'm always looking forward to the next episode. Will five-star review for a six-pack? Well, get to Reno. There we are. Yeah. Come 
ride trails with us. I'll take us. you to Beer Envy after rides. Uh, and I'll just bring you a six-pack of Henry Weinhardt's because I don't drink. How, does that work, do you think? I don't know. Henry Weinhardt's like root beer. That's good stuff. I'll make a black cherry I like soda. I black cherry. Black That's cherry. good stuff. So, so hopefully that still works. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Rowan, he says, what roadie to buy? Uh, I test rode a Fuji cycle, a CX. That's a cyclocross bike. And I like the disc brakes, but I want lightweight for climbing. My local bike shop has a Cannon, has Cannondale, Felt, Fuji, and Jameis. I'm thinking a Super 6 Evo Dura Ace 2. Holy snap. That's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that, Why would you waste that much money on a road bike? <laughs> <laughs> That's an, it's <laughs> actually a really good point. Yeah. Uh, he says, unless I can find a light cyclocross setup and swap tires, avoiding DI2 because I'm scared off by future proofing. I'm 40 years old, 62 kilograms riding, uh, riding sealed hills around the Shoalhaven, New South Wales, or North, or New South Wales, I think, New South Wales, I believe, well, Australia. Yes. It's not North South Wales. No. It's probably New South Wales, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that would be really strange. That would be odd. Yeah. yeah so just center yeah. Wales. <laughs> yep. that would be it. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't advocate for spending a bunch of money on a road bike. Yeah. And, and here's my thing. A road bike, you're limited in tire size no matter what. I mean, the Cannondale mm-hmm. Synapse can hold 28 Cs. The the Roubaix can hold 28 Cs. And even like the new Tarmac, you can ride 28s. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of newer bikes, you can ride 28s. Okay. But trust us when we say that 28s are not like a cross-worthy tire. No, not at all. They're not. So it, personally, what I would tell him is, you know, what I've done. I don't own a road bike anymore. I have a spare set of wheels with 28C road tires or 30C. Actually, I think mine are set up on 30C Mavic road tires. Yep. And... I have that spare wheel set there, and then I have my cross set up. It's and the best way to go. That's how I do it. My recommendation is to go with a cross bike, and I know that you want to stay keep things light. Here's how you're going to save weight in a cross bike. Not by buying the super expensive version of the frame. You're going to save maybe maybe a quarter pound at best yeah. with that. But you're going to spend like an extra 2 3K, right? Yeah. So, But get the lower-end frame. Uh, get the lower-end components as well. Okay. And then just trickle that stuff up when you can. Yeah. That's what I would recommend. Uh, the biggest spot where you're going to save weight with a cross bike? Wheels. Wheels, exactly. Yeah. So Because it, looking at drivetrains now, a lot of them come with like Force 1 group sets. Yeah. So that's a light group set. Yeah. You've got one chain ring up front. You don't have a derailleur. You've got a cassette in the back. Usually they come with like an 1136 these days. 1132 on the Cannondales, but some have 1136s, yes. Yep. And then if you want wider range, go to a 1042, like XX1 or X01 cassette. Uh, go to a SRAM uh, you can get a SRAM or uh, sorry, Shimano yeah. XT cassette on there if you want. That's not going to be quite as light though. Yeah. Um, but you can change out the cassette if you want to lose some weight there. But the wheels are going to be the spot, yeah. man. So what I what I would personally recommend since you're already talking Cannondale, you know, I have the Super X Team model, mm-hmm. and the first thing I did is I removed the Zip 404 tubulars and promptly sold them. Yeah, tubulars because they were are ridiculous. Yeah, there there's no way I was going to ride those things daily. So. No. It's what I did is I got a set of the Cerium All Road, uh, the Cerium Pro Disc All Road wheel set. Super stiff wheels, ridiculously stiff wheels, tubeless. They're actually UST, and then I put a set of Cross Boss. What is UST? Uh, universal standard sis- of tubeless. Standard tubeless, yeah. Universal <laughs> standard tubeless. Yeah. Wait, how does that differentiate from tubeless? Um, so UST requires no holes for the spokes through okay. the rim. Gotcha. UST certification requires a completely sealed 
internal structure. Uh, okay, gotcha. So, that's so there's it. no taping or anything else no. like that. And so that's why Mavic, with their wheel sets, have always done what they call the four drilling, where the spoke and nipple is one piece, mm. and the nipple threads into the front wall of the rim, mm-hmm. leaving no need for a hole Makes sense. into the actual tire system, so there's no need for tape or anything like that. Y'all are smart, Mavic. Yeah, so in Mavic... Mavic. I don't Mavic. know. You said Mavic and then I Sorry, just followed Mavic. it. Was, yeah, Mavic. Uh, Mavic is actually, they're the owners of the UST certification. So a lot of people are going away from that, um, going to just tubeless ready where you just tape it with Gorilla Tape or that garbage plastic tape from like stands <laughs> or orange seal. So bad. Sorry, that stuff's terrible. Just yep. go to Home Depot, get Gorilla Tape. Gorilla it's tape. the best. That's the best stuff ever. Cut it. Um, put it on there. Yeah. So... Uh, with that said, I would honestly just go with the the Super X, the next level down from mm-hmm. the team model. Mm-hmm. It's a Force One group set with like a, I think it's a Mavic Axiom wheel set, which is like a heavy but roadish can, wheel set. You can upgrade it, if but you, you can upgrade that. So yep. save the money on the wheel set, get the second model down. You've got the Force One drivetrain with the nice cranks, nice everything else, and then just throw on better wheels. Get some from stands. <clears throat> yeah, get they're stands light. Wheels. And they're the new Mark Threes are strong with that new Neo Hub. Yep, yeah. and you can get like a really light wheel set that's going to be good for you. Yeah, or so. you can be crazy and do a set of um, NVM fifties. Yeah, or you can do Mavics like me. I be mean, cool it's like me. It's not a bad choice either way. No, you're so, actually kind of keeping it in the same family too with both of those options. Absolutely, they're kind of the same now. Yeah, Ollie, he says, "Hey guys, I'm new to the show and new to the sport, and so far I'm loving both. Good." I'm glad that he likes us too. That's important. Because we like you. Yes. He says, I just picked up a hardtail 29er and I'm having a blast on the local trails besides having a sore bum. I'm, and that's all we feel you, bro. That happens. Um, he says, I'm making little, that was actually probably a poor usage of that saying right there. Anyways, moving on. I'm making little adjustments to my seat position and lever positions after each ride, but the bike still doesn't feel like it's in the sweet spot. I was wondering if you have any tips for dialing in the fit of a new bike, especially for a new rider. Thanks. The only thing I'm going to say to this, it takes time Is to get used. Is this the only thing? Yes. Okay. It takes time. <laughs> I just got Choose. one thing to say about that. Choose um, your words carefully. <laughs> no matter what, you need to get used to the bike. Making yeah. changes after every single ride is not helping the situation. That's a good and you point. being a new mountain biker, you still need to get used to riding in general. Be- your taint needs to build up a callus. <laughs> Or whatever it's called. Yes. Your nether regions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Needs to build up a callus. So you just need to get used to riding. Find a position that's acceptable for now. Get used to it. At least ride a few, three, four, five times. Then make some adjustments. I will say this much. Most bike shops end up sending you or end up getting your bike set up. First thing, uh, a lot of them, especially here in the States, they put the levers like pointing straight down at the ground. Or so terrible. It. It's yeah. so bad. If you're in that position, you are rolling your wrist very far forward, which cutting ends up off circulation. rolling. Yeah. Cutting off circulation. If you hit bumps, it puts all that stress onto your thumbs, not through your wrists and hands and arms, which is a much stronger structure. Yeah. Uh, also what that does is when you roll your wrist forward like that, it puts your arms in a not as strong position. You might think it puts your elbows out. It, when you roll, you know, put your elbows out right now and, and if your wrist is straight, you're in a strong position, right? Or even if it's bent so that your hand is up, like bent upward, you're in a strong position. Roll that wrist forward, you've just lost like almost all your control. Yeah. You're using a totally different set of muscles. It puts your radius and ulna in really like precarious positions with relation to your um, 
your humorous. your entire wrist and your humorous. I that's mean, funny. on both ends. That's funny. Yeah. Sorry. It's I okay. Can't help it. <clears throat> but yeah. So that's the important thing is that if you have, you have those levers pointed straight down, uh, move them up. Yeah. And and there's a trend in enduro right now, which don't worry, enduro is just like 15 years behind motocross. So at some point they're going to go into like baggy gear and then they'll get out of that too. Maybe Shit Who knows? gear. Yeah. Exactly. LBZ. Oh God. SMP. I l- yes, I loved my LBZ gear. Yeah. Just kidding. I never owned any of that. LBZ. They have cow print like with like long fur. I, I did not own those. <laughs> I actually didn't. Your 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 denial of that almost seemed as if it, there was guilt behind it. Was it very, but, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but uh, they're like now going to like levers flat out. Here's the deal: the flat out thing is an over exaggeration. It doesn't need to be there. Yeah. You don't need to have your levers straight down. You don't need to have them flat out, or certainly not pointing upward. You need to have them in a sweet spot. Yeah. And uh, try lifting them up. So that's one thing I would say there. Also, a lot of the time they put such a massive stack underneath there. They don't cut the steerer tube. So you have like seven inches of spacers and then a stem that's like flipped upward. Not really seven inches. Yeah, that's probably an exaggeration. But uh, the problem that you get with that is basically it just doesn't allow you to put enough weight toward the front of the bike. So your tire isn't actually gripping. And then also it could be putting even more weight on the back on that saddle, making you uncomfortable. Last thing on this, if you are new to riding, you don't put out as much power, which means that you actually are, chances are you are putting more of your weight directly onto that saddle and your legs are not strong enough to elevate you a bit or relieve some of that pressure the whole time. So we find that a lot with trainer road with like new people when they come on to trainer road, uh, they'll complain of a lot of like being uncomfortable on the saddle and having a lot of pressure. I even notice it if I'm just noodling along for a long time, my saddle is way more uncomfortable than if I'm pedaling harder. Uh And part of that is because I'm, you know, every time I'm pushing down on those pedals, I am alleviating pressure on the saddle. So Patience, young Padawan. Speaking of noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, anyway. No, don't do that. Last one is from Josh. He says, I'm looking to build a new dirt jump bike and need some guidance. I'm trying to find a decent OEM spec complete bike. Uh, trying to find one is difficult these days. Forgive me. He says, I've looked into building one and buying everything top notch, but I end up at three to $4,000 every time. That's a common problem when you're trying to find a top end dirt jumping bike. Yeah. That's normal. Uh, he says, the only decent spec I can find is the Comensal Ab- Absolute Pike. Other than that, it's the NS bikes that flash on, Google's, on Google every search. Well, that's not all bad. No, it's not. Yeah, the NS bikes are not bad I almost at all. bought a Metropolitan one last year. And here's the thing about... That's freaking cool with that purple yeah. to pink paint scheme. It's with really cool. A dirt jump bike, too? Ain't a whole lot going on there, guys. Yeah. It doesn't have to be... If it's a steel-heavy dirt jump bike, that's fine. Yeah. You don't need a super light dirt jump bike. No. So you just want one that won't fracture underneath you. Exactly. And since Yeti doesn't make the DJ anymore... We're all screwed. <laughs> Everyone? Everyone. Everyone, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're stuck with what's left. <laughs> yes, exactly. Jesus <laughs> has left the building in that department. <laughs> that may have been an over-exaggeration. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so he says, any advice is appreciated. Uh, he says, not in a rush. Um, and he says, I can always take my SB6 to the park. Ooh, another Yeti mentioned there. So sorry, y'all. You're all are drinking now. But, uh, oh, and then he says, P.S., do another run of gray shirts. XL ran out. All right. It's on. You can head up right now. Go find it. You can order it. Isn't it like 10-day cycles or something yep. like that? Yep. And then they just continually repeat? Constantly shipping out. Cool. So you can check them out there. Um, so uh, You're in luck, Josh. Yes. Because we had Trevor answer your question at Sea Otter when we were interviewing him. So Trevor, of the past, take it away. It's super tough because all the completes come with terrible components, it seems like. Yeah. I would say air fork. Get, get a bike with an air fork. 
Um, okay. If you're building a bike, that's by far the most expensive. You know, the, the forks are the same price as the trail forks. What travel would you say is best for like a bike like that? I think, I mean, I have a Jackal with the one 100 mil fork. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's perfect for everything. Yeah. I think head tube angle and fork would be the two things I'd focus on. Um, because like no one, I mean, I, I grew up riding BMX. So like we had like 74, I don't, I don't right. you know, steep. gnarly steep head tube angles. And I think my Jackal is like a 69. Okay. But I mean, if you are new to the sport and you get a bike with like a head tube angle, that's in the 70s. It's yeah. probably going to feel super squirrely, um, especially if you're, you know, you just want something to like be stable and give you confidence. Yeah. I would say get something with like slightly more slack head tube angle. So we're talking less than 70. I would, I think, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, nothing like, like trail bike, like probably 68 to 70 would be right. the range. Um, and then yeah, get a good fork because like if you get, I have so many friends that did that. They like, Oh, I want to do a jumper. And they bought this like, bike that looks rad, but then like everything breaks and the fork is garbage and they end up, you know, buying a complete later. Yeah. So prioritize fork and then frame. You want to have a a slacker head tube angle less than 70. Steven, did you have something to add to? No, I was going to ask what, what's a good fork. There's the Pike DJ. There's the Fox, you know, the 831. Yeah. There's like, like? there's only two options. It seems like, like, are are those, (laughs) you know, um, there we are. The, I have the 831. I've had it for like a year. I haven't done anything to it. Okay. Um, it leaks a little bit of oil. It needs a rebuild. It needs all. a rebuild. Yeah. But Big it's deal. fine. Yeah. Like you don't like it, you lock it out and you put like as much air as you can in there. Yeah. Um. So the next question would be, do you really need a fork? Because that's the most expensive part of the build. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, is that just an aesthetic thing? Like, you want it to look like a. Like, like all the other dirt jumpers right. or like how functional is that? Hmm, that's a good point. Maybe you don't need one. We did see a couple or we did see one rider today at the pump at the pump track race running a the full rigid fork today, which is something I was not expecting to see when everybody else was running uh suspension forks there. Yeah. So it, it is possible to build one like that. And also don't forget with a lot of these frames you can just switch switch out the fork if you want. So if you find a decent spec with a rigid fork, maybe you could start with that and then just upgrade. Yeah, I would say, I mean, like, look at the Specialized P3. Um, yeah, they have, actually, it's pretty well spec. It's actually. pretty dialed. Um, they have, I think, one of them comes with a pike. Um, it's yeah. a little bit more expensive, but, like, it's something that's upgradable. It's not going to have, like, weird proprietary. Right. Dim- like, some of the bikes like, have a mix between mountain bike and BMX yeah. component so it's like <clears throat> once you break something it's like your local bike shop's gonna be like what is this get out of here yeah um <laughs> yeah that's a good so point. yeah and then i guess if you just like look at it and kind of like if you just want a bike that's to cruise around right then great like any of those completes will be fine but if you want to like progress and get into dirt jumping then you want something that's like gonna last and be durable right um you know last summer i was looking at building a dirt jump bike and i recall seeming like a really good deal in a package was I think it was NS bikes, the Metro one, like their, their high end metropolitan that that was that cool, like great purple to pink pearl color. I don't know if you know the bike I'm talking about, but it was like a $2,400 retail bike. Right. And it came with a Pike DJ came with, you know, hydraulic disc. It came with, I mean, it was a really nice package out of the box. So it seemed right. And a sub 3000. Yeah, and the one really thing, too, stuff. if you're talking, like, there are less components on a dirt jump bike than what you're going to have on another bike. Yeah. Like, do you need gears? 
maybe not, right? So you can just run a bike that actually is just a single speed, right? Um, so then that cuts out drivetrain. So then basically you have brakes, fork, frame, wheels, cranks, um, tires. and tires and, you know, stem and bars, but stem and bars, you can change out for relatively cheap, right? To something, there's so many bars that are strong and plenty fine to use and, you know, weight may, may not matter a whole lot. So you can save some money there. Wheels also chances. I mean, the wheels, obviously, if you're a bigger guy, you might want to make sure that you have something substantial, but um, in a lot of cases, you'll probably be okay because these things come with like what, like 32 spokes in these little wheels or more? 36 sometimes, I think. Sometimes 36. 36, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so it, it's actually kind of a cool bike to build up because it's so cheap in the sense that there's not a lot to build up. But yeah. that said, I, I know that we have a, a trainer road. We actually, how sweet is this? Our company actually bought, bought a dirt jumper bike just to have for the everybody to ride on. So, which is pretty sweet. So, that bike, we bought a P slope, and I think we bought the P slope one, and I think it was somewhere around 3K. So, I know that you said you wanted to stay away from that range. That thing is like to the to the hilt done, and it's pretty pretty well set up. So, yeah. and that's a full suspension. Yes, bike. that's the slope style bike. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would say I mean the slope style bike. You're definitely paying what like an extra thousand bucks for that right. shock. Yeah, yep. yeah, and probably not. In most cases, for dirt jumping, it's probably not worth it. And is yours a multi speed or is it a single speed? Single. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the full suspension seems like a very specific tool for like you right. know guys wanting to hit slope style jumps. Yeah, exactly. And Trevor from Descendant Racing, obviously, just he's a guru with dirt jumps. He know, or dirt jump bikes. He knows dirt jump bikes. He does. We felt that was the best way to answer that question. Yep. Because. I want a dirt jump bike because I haven't had one in years. The last yeah. one I had was a 20-inch bike. So, no, oh, that's tiny. Yeah, it was a DKSOB, by the way. No, oh, okay, the acronym time. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Okay. Good things. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to the business. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. So how does one... Sea otter correctly. How do we do this? <laughs> Let's go over this. And this would apply technically to any mountain bike festival. But yes. sea otter really is kind of one of the biggest. I they mean, have, there's there's people from Nepal that yes. were there this last weekend. They have more than, uh, in terms of like people that actually come through that festival, they have more than 140,000 people that cross through those gates. It's a lot. The whole time. It's packed, man. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There is a road race, a circuit race, a criterium. There is a cross-country mountain bike race. There is an enduro race. There is a dual slalom race. There is a pump track challenge. There is a cyclocross race. There is a downhill race. There is a grand fondo. There's uh, a dirt. There's a there's a grand fondo of road. A grand fondo of mountain bike, and a gravel race. And a gravel grinder. And there are kids races in like a in like a skills area that they have. Um, there's an e-bike race. There's the cheater race. Yeah. Yes. Which is like the most important thing for the whole industry that week. In fact, it It really, it seemed like it was Ted King told me, he said that he was like, I don't know if I've ever had Cannondale like, like next day air a bike from Europe over to me before for any race that I did when I raced with them professionally. But when I told them I was going to do the e-bike race, they like put one in a crate and threw it on the next plane and it got directly to me. So priorities, right? Priorities. Um, But all of that is going on. And keep in mind, when I say there's a road race, that means, and I'm going to just run through this and this applies to the rest. That means that there is a juniors road race. Mm-hmm. That means that there is, or probably multiple junior road races. Yeah, because there's on probably like an under 15, and then yep. there's a U18, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Then there is Cat 5, but that Cat 5 has elites, which means that you're under 35. 
And then it has masters, which means that you're 35 to so 49. Think, 49. Yeah. And then there is seniors. So guys over that age. Yeah. Okay. Like Craig Manning. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Sorry. No, we love you, Craig. He's we a do. local guy, yeah. a podcast listener. So you have Cat 5, Elite, or Juniors, Junior Juniors, whatever we want to call that. Littles. Yes. And then you have Elites, Masters, and Seniors. You have that for Cat 5, Cat 4, Cat 3. Also for men's and women's, and then you also have, uh, then you have a cat two race. And some of them they had their own, and then it was just the pros and the cat ones together. And then in some cases the pros and one or pros cat ones cat twos were combined. Yes. So that's for every road event. Then in cross country you have even more. That's a lot more because you have closer segmenting in in age, in age groups, and then you have more juniors racing, like yes. massively more junior yeah. racing. There's like seventeen and under, eighteen yes. and under, nineteen it's crazy. and under. There's tons of them, and then you've got Clydesdales thrown in in yes. all three levels and single speeds. Yeah, and single speed. Yeah, oh, it's got it's. So there's so much racing going on. I heard that at any given moment there are five races going on at the venue. And, and, it's at, and if you don't know about Sea Otter, it's actually at Laguna Seca Raceway. In Monterey. In Monterey, California. It's one of the most <clears throat> famed raceways in the United States. If it wasn't for Indianapolis, I'd say it was. it is the most famed one. It's the most famous one. So, I think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I throw in a really fun story? Yeah, please. I was doing a, um, a long time ago, I was doing a- Shuffleboard. A, a road race handling. Knitting. No, road race school. Okay, yeah, road race school, yeah. And- On bicycles? No, in cars. cars. Okay, yeah. And I repeatedly put a Corvette onto the grass at the bottom of the corkscrew because I couldn't get the corner right. And I was asked not to drive a car the rest of that day. Because <laughs> I was going really fast and I was yeah. doing really well except for at the bottom of the corkscrew. Nice. I kept so, putting in the grass. And- this, this brings us to our first pro tip. Yes. Well, actually... Yeah, and then we're going to go to the beginning of how you should execute your whole Sea Otter stuff. But first pro tip, if you can, get there on a Wednesday and be there in the evening. Because what you'll get to see is one of two things. You'll get to see open wheel racers going around that course. Yes. Just so awesome. Or you'll see sport bikes. Yes. Which is what we saw Pretty Thursday, nice. actually. That was Thursday. Really? Yeah. Oh, I wish I got to see that. Yeah. I didn't get to see that. <clears throat> so anyways, you can sneak in early sometimes and you can catch some really awesome motorsports going on there. Yes. Pretty cool. So uh, it in Monterey, California, it's, it's up into the hills away from the ocean by about six miles maybe. Yeah. Five miles uh, away from the water. The main two places where people stay, Monterey or Salinas. They also trickle their way up north to some towns called, like, called Seaside yeah. in that area. But Monterey and Salinas, because they kind of consider like Seaside a bleeding continuation of Monterey. Yes. Those are the two main areas that you can stay at. Yeah. A lot of people, some people stay up in Santa Cruz. That's actually a, it's kind of a drive and you have to deal with a lot of traffic yeah. coming in every day. It's a good hour. Yep. 45 minutes to an hour to get there. I strongly recommend staying in Monterey. Yes. Over anything else. It's closer. The weather is great because it's nice and cool down by the water. You are also closer to things that are happening. Yeah. Like you go downtown and it is just bike humans everywhere. Yep. Uh, it's, and good bike humans. Uh, not like the, the weird guy who's doing the noodle dance, like to his favorite bluegrass band at your mountain it's bike festival. Yeah. yeah. Like with like <clears throat> black Lycra that's faded to brown and way too thin. And he's wearing like a cactus cup jersey from 87. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to wow, hang out got with those really people. really specific <laughs> with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> don't, don't want to hang out with those bike people. Yeah. But uh, awesome people all around, cool events. You'll go to dinner and everyone else will be bike people. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Like how many times did we run into 
the entire crew from your bike oh, ride. Yeah. So we rode down, uh, something really awesome, uh, chef cycle, uh, for no kid hungry. It's this event that's going on where you can donate to a bunch of chefs that are actually riding, uh, and try to accumulate as many miles as you can. You can either pledge per mile or you can just donate and they are raising $2 million, $2 million for no child hungry, which is awesome. Yeah. So giving, making sure that children that don't get breakfast because their family can't afford it before they go to school uh, can actually have that. Uh, making sure that kids that come home and they don't have a dinner. Yeah, they can have it. Just it's it was an awesome event. So yeah. uh, the Lyman Agency worked together with um, Giant Bicycles. Was also there. Uh, Yuri Oswald, Ted King, Andrew Tolansky, Jesse D. Anthony, um, Janelle Holcomb. Like the the whole. It was a whole group of people uh, yeah. from the industry. We rode from San Francisco down to Sea Otter. Now I drove you to San Francisco and this dropped you off. It's very kind with of your you. ridiculously expensive Baum yes. titanium Baum road Coretto. bike. Yeah, yeah, twenty uh, or it was sixteen k. Yeah, uh, keep your eyes tuned on Bike Radar. There's going to be an article soon on that. And thanks to Chad at Above Category in Sausalito for letting you borrow that bike. That was and just amazing. Being a he rad dude. The coolest guy, right? He's got a Ducati in his bike shop. Yeah. We That's rolled really in cool. and we just talked shop for so long. Yeah. Mostly about motors. Yeah, it had nothing to do with bikes <laughs> yeah. while we were there. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. We're so. surrounded by like 150K in four bikes. Yes. And we don't even bicycles. care about them. And they're road bikes. Yeah. It's not like they're crazy super mountain bikes, you know? Anyway, so yeah. let's get back but on track. One thing really quick. Yeah. If you're in Sausalito, that's where that is. And Sausalito is just north. If you cross the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco, don't just turn around and go back and be like, yeah, I crossed the Golden Gate Bridge. Go to Above Category and check it out. It really is. Like, it's, it's the so most cool. pretentious bike shop ever when you look at it, but you go there, most awesome people. They're so cool. They're such cool people. They've even got a cool German Shepherd you can t- they can do. play with. So yeah. Sora. She yes, was cute. She was. So, uh, back on track. So, yes. we rode down the day before, and yeah, we ran into that group all the time at breakfast everywhere else. Yes. But there are awesome places to eat, really cool coffee shops, everything else that you can find, and, and like just a cool place to be in Monterey. Yeah. So, I would recommend that. If you're in Salinas you are going to get some of the best Mexican food that you can find. That town is stacked with it. So it really is. It's it's an agriculture town and there are a bunch of of people there because they are field workers. Yeah. And there's a really strong Latino culture there. Uh super friendly place to be. Yeah. Awesome people and they have really good food. So you you aren't doing bad with Salinas. And no. honestly a lot of the time the commute isn't that much longer. No, it's not from Monterey to the to Laguna Seca. It's kind of smack dab in the middle and you get more traffic coming from Monterey. And technically Laguna Seca is actually in Salina city limits. It's actually not in Monterey. Right. So, um, but, uh, if I were to pick two, one of the two, absolutely. I would pick Monterey. It's just a more pleasant place. You're right by the ocean. It's gorgeous. It's pretty cool. So that's the first thing, uh, with that lodging, I would recommend going with an Airbnb if you can. Yes. And picking some people to stay with. We stayed in a hotel. It was $200 a night. The hotel wasn't, I mean, it was slightly romantic for you and I. We had wooded, vaulted ceilings. It was. Exposed beams. It was very, A fireplace with no wood but matches. (laughs) It's true. So they apparently were wanting us to take some of the chairs apart and burn them. (laughs) I don't know. We didn't oblige. We did not. No. um, But uh, hotels are expensive in Monterey. They are. They're expensive in Salinas too. Yeah. During this week. It's 
a really big week for them. So I would recommend trying to get an Airbnb. You can probably get find an Airbnb in that area if you get in beforehand. Yeah. And that being, uh, if anybody doesn't know what Airbnb is, that's just um, a, an online reservations for homes that people allow you to stay in temporarily. Yeah. Uh, so air bed and breakfast is yeah. the... Or VRBO, vacation rental by owner. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you can uh, go on there, find a house like that, and then bring some of your friends and and do that do it that way because then it makes it a lot of fun. And then you don't have to eat out. Usually all of those Airbnbs, like the kitchens are fully stacked with all you know yep. utensils and cookware and everything so you need. you just go grocery shopping. So you just go grocery shopping. And there's a Costco literally not even five minutes from it's a actually in seaside. Yeah. And you know, there's obviously all the normal supermarkets, but you've even got Costco. Yeah. So it's actually pretty good. easy. Yeah. So, uh, that's what we recommend there. Um, some other things on the roads coming in to sea otter. Yeah. So every day when you drive into sea otter, if you ride your bicycle, you've got a long climb. Yeah. And you either, you have two choices. You either have a 16% grade that's short <laughs> and brutal and brutal. And I, by short, I mean, it's eight tenths of a mile. Yeah. It's, it's the, you probably climb well, what's 18% or 16% over eight tenths of a mile. I don't know. You're climbing like 800 vertical feet it's in gnarly. less than a mile. It's, it's steep. It's, yeah. Very steep. Um, like it's, I think it's the final climb of the Grand Fondo and it brings a lot of people just to unclip and they try to walk their bike up and even that's hard. So yeah. it's steep. Driving up it, I got winded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other option is you come from the ocean side up and it's just long rolling gradual hills. And you're kind of along the edge of Fort Ord, which is the, uh, the old, you know, uh, where military they used to, base. the military base where they hold a lot of mountain bike races, but there's actually, you know, like old bombing range where they used to drop bombs out of airplanes and be and like, there's, oh. there's unexploded ordnance all, all over, over that place. And so it's kind of scary. There are signs along the fence that say like, do not cross this line. You will die. Yeah. So it's probably not a good idea to yeah. just cross like the skull and crossbones is exploding. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So that's you're on South boundary road and yes. it's just a long, tedious climb up. So. There can be a lot of traffic coming into South boundary road. Our tips are to just like you would try with your commute, dodge the, the rush hour, mm-hmm. uh, get in early if you can. And then, or get in midday if you can, uh, also a pro tip and possibly slightly illegal pro tip, but you can take York road. Don't tell them. Sorry. Yeah. Everyone will start taking it. But on Friday and Saturday, there's a cop there. He doesn't let you go. No. So, but York Road, you can take that. And And that's off of Highway 68. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure this is probably going to be tough, but once you visit Sea Otter, all of this hopefully will come to your mind and you'll get it and you'll thank us for it. So, and the other pro tip for like parking is have a legit podcast. (laughs) Yes. And get media parking. Yes. Yeah. If you don't get that, it's, it's a long walk. You park up in the hills and you are in dirt and you have to ride in very dusty areas back. So if you've cleaned your bike, if you have a road race, for example, it's a pain because you're riding through like razor rock and dust and you get dirt all over everything. And it's just, it's, it's really annoying. So, uh, the other thing you can do is get a Subaru. And I can't believe we're advocating for getting a yeah, Subaru. <laughs> this is terrible because but, since Subaru is the main sponsor, yeah. they have a parking corral where they segregate all of the Subarus and yeah. it's right next to our media parking. That I we think got. it's, I think it's vicious segregation myself. It is. They're putting all the Subaru owners in a pen, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. But in, and in, in all jest, my brother owns a Subaru. My father owns a Subaru and I would own a Subaru as well. So Steven's scowling at me. I but... didn't know you were inclined to be <laughs> of that sexual preference, oh, but okay. Okay. <laughs> we might believe that one out. Yeah, we might. Um, so, uh, that's another way to get good parking because parking, parking, is something that is extremely, it actually is kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. So it's kind of a pain, but you know, that's one of the 
that bit with 140,000 people. Sorry, it's going to be it's going to be that way. When you park up on the hill, if you don't have media pack or media parking or a Subaru, when you park way up on the hill, you have to roll down a pretty darn steep hill into Laguna Seca every day, and then you end up climbing back out of that. So yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, other things. Let's get into the expo. So the expo is big. It is big. I actually missed a few of the vendors that I wanted to see because I just went through and was going through loops and checking things out and, you know, oh, look, a blue car, and I'd get distracted. <laughs> a squirrel. A squirrel. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. one of the things that Sea Otter does is they actually have an online database of who all of the vendors are and where their booth location is. Yeah. So what I would recommend to anybody is know who you want to go see mm-hmm. and know where their booth is. Yes. Food. First of all. Yes. Food. Usually, or you used to be able to go to the Scratch Labs little truck. Thing. Yeah, Scratch Labs. Where were you yeah, this year? We were dying. Oh, and and I know this sounds like first world problems, but we had like a very not good California pizza kitchen that was like they had like a really eh. yeah they had like a microwave cardboard. It was basically like a piece of cardboard with some red paint on it, and that was like <laughs> that and was some things pizza. that looked like pepperoni. Or <laughs> yeah, something. exactly. It was not good, but. So Scratch Labs, hopefully they're there again next year, but they had this truck and they were making things out of their recipe books and they would give you the like the granola raspberry cookie mix that they had. They would give you that when you were waiting in line and they would give you Scratch the drink when you're waiting in line. Yep. And then you'd go up and you would have like a delicious thing you could order. It was so good. So hopefully they bring that back. Yeah. If not... You have a couple options. You have like basically fair food, like that's not very good. And when I say fair food, I'm not talking about like, you know, modern fair, but I'm talking about like Barney's. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That type. Yeah. So it's not good food there. No. Uh, The other thing that you can do though is you can, I would recommend just bringing food into the venue because it's pretty expensive too. Yeah. Just bring something in. It's going to be an easy way to do it. If you leave for lunch and come back, it's, it's kind of a long way to go for lunch. So, uh, back to the expo, uh, keep in mind that this is unique. It's not like inner bike where an inner bike or like a, you know, anything else where you go to an expo where it's just focused on the expo. This is a race. Yeah. So when you go to a lot of these companies, they are getting ready for a race. They have racers coming up to them. They're supported racers getting parts. They need to get the right things to them. Yeah. It's a pretty busy time. Yeah. But also keep in mind that this is Sea Otter and it's not Interbike. So people are actually happy because they're not in terrible Las Vegas, which yeah. I, I know that Las Vegas isn't all terrible. But when you're in the strip for four days inside a building, it starts to suck. Yeah. So uh, everyone's happy to be there at the same time and they want to talk bikes. Yep. Like, And I think that the best advice that I could give when you go into a booth is when you go into a booth, don't go in kind of like what Dacre talked about when we, and when we did that uh, podcast about uh, demoing bikes, Yeah, don't go in like challenging them or anything else. Just go in, chat bikes with these people and find out what they ride. And then they'll be able to explain their products within that context. And it'll be awesome. Yeah. So, um, pick your favorite brands to go around to a bunch of brands do like giveaways during the day, which is pretty cool. You can enter for raffles or just show up at a certain time. There are demos going on. Danny McCaskill, had a demo going on, which is crazy. With a giant red beach ball. He did the front flip thing. Yeah. It's the beach crazy. ball front flip thingamajig. Yes. Uh, kudos to him. <clears throat> There's also a pond, and you can actually witness the sea otters at times in the pond. They weren't there this year. They weren't. It's they were last cu- year. It's very cute when you see them. Yeah. They're adorable little guys. 
Um, so that's more or less the expo in the evenings, things wind down or in the mornings, a lot of places do coffee and they'll even do complimentary coffee Yeah, in the, like this year who, what? Okay. So Santa Cruz, Mm -hmm. they had, um, a shout out to Jake Helm, formerly of uh, Yuba Expeditions, now a Santa Cruz demo driver. Wow. He was barista-ing at the Santa Cruz booth. Nice. Um, the Shimano booth was doing full stuff in yep. the mornings. Um, Specialized, I think, also did something with some coffee. Yeah, and then Yuri from Goo Labs, he was actually doing pour-over coffee yep. when he wasn't Yuri yakking. himself. Yuri himself. He's yeah. like one of their marketing dudes, and yeah. he's awesome. He's, he's, awesome. he's a phenomenal gravel and cross racer. Yeah. So he's a good dude. As good a human as they come. Yep. And <clears throat> then I Specialized gave out ice cream. Yeah. And one time in the afternoon. And, uh, oh, which brings you to hot and cold really quick. Let's cover that. Sea otter is one of two things. Blazing hot. Or very cold. Yes. <laughs> yes. So dress accordingly. The one thing that we can guarantee is sunburn. Yes, my it, calves. Yes. That's the one spot on Thursday that I forgot to do, you know, uh, sunblock. And yeah. Uh, yeah. they were red for a few days. It looks like you brushed up against a freshly painted Ferrari. It was pretty bad. It was good. They and not red. a yellow Ferrari, no, a red one. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, that would be strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, sunscreen and bring layers. Like yes. your jacket's going to come in handy in the morning, and then it might be just blazing hot in the afternoon. So bring layers. Usually by like, I don't know, 0930. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then in the evenings, they do a lot of happy hours. So if you look at, you know, stick around and check out and talk to brands and they'll probably bring out some, you know, they'll be pouring beers for people and yeah. they bring out DJs and it's just a good time. Or so. really, really terrible 80s cover bands. We're looking at you, Kenda. Kenda. I but mean, that was you. a fun party. That was that awesome. That was awesome. We enjoyed going. We enjoyed seeing the new, um, the new tire releases. Yep. And Thank you, know, you very much, tour. Kenda. It was, it yeah. was a good time. Yeah. And your the 80s band, like they were just like so terribly good. <laughs> I don't know. Does that make sense? It's, they were so bad, it was almost good. Like, they, their first song was a Metallica song, and then they claimed that they'd never played a Metallica song before, and we were to, discussing something about them living the dream, and I said, no, I think they're more living on a prayer, and then they started playing Bon Jovi's <laughs> Living true. on a Prayer. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. But I think the most important part is the amazing street tacos that we had there. Those street tacos were tasty. They were good. They were really so, good. So thank you, Kenda. And brands like that will be having things going on. So when you go around, <clears throat> just make friends with these people. Like, they are bike people just like you. Yeah. And you can check it out. And there's a reason they work in the industry. They love bikes. Yep. So. Other things that you can do. Uh, race an event. Go there and do one event, whatever it is. Even if it's just one of the Fondos. Yeah. The Fondos are awesome. They are. Um, so you can go ride the XC course at any point. You don't have to be a racer. Yep. Although I probably shouldn't have said that. I think you technically have to be a racer to ride the course. But um, you can go out and ride the course. Uh, and it's gorgeous views so out there. So bring your cross bike. Yeah. <laughs> That's something we should cover. If you're going to Sea Otter, know that. Let me go through with this really quick. Okay. The, uh, the XC race is a gravel race. Yes, it is. The enduro is like an XC race, just with like... With stages. With breaks in between. Yeah. The... Downhill uh, race is downhill one stage. Downhill race is just one enduro stage. Yep. And, well, dual solemn is dual solemn. Yeah. And that pretty much covers it. So it's, it's not as gnarly, and... You know, the complaining about sea otter is just as much a tradition as sea otter. Everybody yeah. loves to complain about how buff everything is and how not difficult it is. Yeah. But at the same time, who cares, man? It's Everyone's fun. there it's riding their bikes. It's a good time. So it's pretty cool. Uh, 
a couple, so a bring a race and event because it makes it a lot of fun and you can, I think that you just get a better feel for the whole event. Yes. Uh, some don't miss events. Number one, dual slalom. Yes. Always we, go to dual slalom. We missed it this year. We did. Well, that was because we were driving back to Reno watching Supercross. So much work though that whole week. Yeah. yeah. Um, we missed a lot of racing, but dual slalom, don't miss it. It's an awesome party. And the riding is incredible to watch. It's yeah. so much fun. Yep. Every race is close unless there's a crash. Yep. And uh, there aren't many crashes, so it's pretty cool. Uh, another one that you should definitely check out is the industry e-bike race that goes on, or just the e-bike race. That's always fun. Yeah. It's pretty fun because basically since they're cheating with motors, and I say cheating in air quotes with motors, you get to cheat with any type of heckling you want almost. Yeah. So there's a lot of great heckling I think I've on. seen Silly String... Yes. I've seen all yes. the ridiculousness. A lot yeah. of things. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. In fact, I think I even saw somebody the first year, he was spraying Mountain Dew onto people and yelling it was battery acid, something like that, since they all had batteries in their bike. Very strange things happen yeah. at the e-bike race. But anyways, fun times. Uh, that's a good one to watch. And then I would say the other one is downhill. Yeah. Um, even if you are a roadie, you should go check those out because it's so much fun. The one so. thing I was a little disappointed about the downhill course this year has been tamed. Yeah. All of the the first triple pack of doubles before yeah, the step tables. up into the right are all tabletops now. Yeah, and last year I boldly went two and a half on that triple <laughs> with a, with high posting and no dropper, no dropper post. Yeah, uh, my NV seat post all the way up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I ended up going two and a half, and I found the limits of my one hundred and twenty millimeter fork and a hundred millimeter rear suspension. Good. Yep, it was rough. Yeah. So, but now it's a table. Yeah. Yeah, they buffed a lot out. They did. So, which and there's a couple other techie sections in it. It's a very short downhill course. It's you know I think my fastest time was a, a you know ever down there was like a two oh nine or a two ten. Right, and they um, made it a little longer now, so it tends to be closer to like two thirty. Okay, and that's basically yeah. But it's 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 just a fast a course course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, those are the good things to do. Um, other sea otter tips, uh, Steven. So. Oh, pro XC race actually can be cool to watch because it's on a short course. It's yes. XCO. It's not a marathon. Yes. And by the way, um, uh, oh goodness. Why am I forgetting his name now? Sam gaze got second in the XC race to Nino Schurter. He won the short track, um, but he got second to him. And I heard that he put it after an, oh, more than an hour and a half of racing on this course that is absolutely brutal. Yeah. He ended up doing an 1800 watt sprint and still lost. Good load. And he's not like a huge guy. Yeah. He's probably weighs like 150 pounds. That's a crazy sprint. So yeah, boy's strong. So, and he lost to Nino Schurter. So crazy. Yep. Um, anything else that we would add for how to see otter correctly? I don't know. Kate Courtney kicked too. She was awesome. Yeah. I mean, XC in pro women's XC. She like, like, so we had uh, Olympic gold medal champ at Rio, Jenny Rizveds, um, geez, we, who else did we have? Uh, uh Emily Batty. Emily Batty was there. Out of Canada. We She's had, Olympic. Yep. Katarina Kanash. Yep. Or Katarina Kanash. Kanash. <laughs> yeah. I think the K Kat, is Kat. not there and silent. <laughs> yeah. Kat, Kat Kanash is what yeah. I was thinking her Instagram handle. So yeah. Katarina and, uh, also a friend of ours. She was there. Yep. Legend, but like super fast athletes, man. And Kate Cordy just destroyed them. She walked away. It was awesome. It was, it was so good. cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And the specialized, specialized had an awesome week. They did. They won Enduro. They won Downhill with Jared Graves. Yep. And Curtis Keene, I think, was on the podium in both, maybe. So he was fast, too, there. 
And then they had Sam Gaze win short track. Mm-hmm. Kate Courtney win both, I think. Uh, yeah, I think she won both short track and cross country. And Howard Grotz was right, right up there too. Yeah. So they had a good time. Uh, and, cho- and, and cheers to Brad Copeland, a homie of the podcast, for keeping all of those people's bikes together. He's their head mechanic. Yeah. So good man. Is there anything else? There's so much more. El, but you really do ooh, need to get there. El Torito. El Torito. Oh, the tableside guac. Yes. Yeah. You should go to that restaurant in Monterey. has incredible views. You are literally on the water. Yeah. And they make tableside guac that's to die for. Yep. And good fajitas. Fajitas. Yes. I think it's a soft jet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think so. Fajitas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything? I think that pretty much covers it, man. I think that's good. Yeah. So that's your guide to living sea otter correctly. Uh, pick Monterey. Go with an Airbnb. Try to dodge the traffic. Use sunscreen. Bring layers. Bring your food. Uh, have fun in the expo and race your bike. Done. There we are. Last thing, Stephen, the tips. You don't care? They'd count on your tips to live? Uh, mine, we've talked about this before, but I've had some more time on it. The Mm -hmm. DJI Mavic pro, the drone. It's awesome. It's really fun. That's been your pick before though. I know, but I've been using it more and I actually can report on some of these modes. And didn't you, didn't you also get kind of a tutorial from DC Rainmaker? I did. The drone master himself. Yeah. So he, he helped me out with some, some cool settings. I learned some, some pretty good things. A couple things really quick. Shoot in 4K uh, because you can crop down. And one thing I've noticed is that the slow motion is okay if you shoot in 1080, but I prefer 4K. And you can still do quite a lot with it. Uh, forgive me for the on there. It's late. Um, but one thing I would say with this thing is also uh, don't shoot I, you If you're grading with film, and I know we're getting nerd stuff, but if you're doing any type of color grading or anything else like that, uh, they have pushed a firmware update to it that allows you to use D-Log, and that is a... a, a, a <laughs> Stephen's blinking and just looking at me. But basically, it's, it's like a raw format, and it allows you to pull the colors in whichever direction you want later on in post when you're editing. So it looks really like desaturated and gray when you shoot. Um, like it's not, doesn't look like a very interesting image, but that's because it's capturing as much data as it can. Right. So then that way you can make the image look however you want. Steven's still looking at me very confused. Uh, another thing that you, uh, that you can do with that too, is decrease the sharpness when you shoot with it. Cause it has some harsh artificial sharpening. So if you want better image quality, decrease the sharpness a bit. Also decrease the contrast, decrease the saturation a bit too. Uh, just one stop on all those. And that will help. Uh, the last thing that I will say with this is on the modes in sport mode. I got it up to 47 miles an hour. Holy cow. That's fast. I thought they only go like 29. That's what I thought. (laughs) Sport mode is awesome. Yeah. With the baby keys in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's quick. Uh, and if you are piloting the drone with that one, you can film somebody going that quickly. That said, wind will slow you down. Basically, just think of it like, um, you know, power on a bicycle. If you can put out 300 watts with no wind, that will make you faster. But if you have to fight against wind, that will make you'll go slower, right? So you're, you're, it slows down with some wind. Um, 
The other thing to say is the, uh, the f- modes that you can use where it follows you and stuff like that are very, are pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that you'll want to do though, is you'll want to situate the camera into the position or the drone into the position that it should film you at the whole time. Instead of like bringing it way above you, tapping onto you. So it follows you and then just hoping it will follow you the whole time. I would say, bring it a little lower get it so that you're a larger portion of the frame and then you make it follow you. So those are my pro tips. The footage is pretty good and we're going to have some good stuff. I'm going to be using it at TDS too. Word. It'll be good. And that's it for me. Uh, yours, Steven, go ahead. Uh, so my tip, um, it's a lot less expensive. Okay. Um, it's the, the new, um, wolf tooth remote. Yeah. It's a pretty cool little, uh, dropper lever. Yep. And I like that. They make it in different versions. So you've got, for for some dropper posts, they've got a standard version. Other dropper posts, they recommend what they call a light action version. Yeah. Um, so on my new Jekyll. For different ratios. For different ratio poles. And so you just got to look at, you know, what your what yours calls for and then order the correct one. Um, but I like that they have it where you can either just do a, a clamp on the handlebars. Or like mine, I actually did the Matchmaker X combo so that mm. it matched my Guide RS brakes. Nice. And it mounted right into the same system. Perfect. I loved it. And then they also make it for the um, for the, the Shimano iSpec and then the old iSpec AB. So, you know, pretty much everybody's covered with a, a dropper remote, like from Wolftooth, and it's got a really good grip on it. The knurling on it is all part of their CNC machining. Yeah. So it's really grippy. It's not like the 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 Fox one and like the Race Face one. They're just kind of not as nice and refined. And this right. thing's got a big bearing in it, so it's really smooth. One quick thing. What? What type of or what ergonomic design did they copy in terms of a shifter? I just want to know. I SRAM or Shimano? Um, well, it doesn't click, so I don't know. SRAM. But it's a, they did copy a SRAM. I think it, I feel like the the shape of it looks more like a SRAM, like an X01. I bet that's for a reason. Something like it's better, you know? Maybe. Yeah, probably better. I haven't seen a single dropper post remote company try to emulate what a Shimano shifter feels like. Okay. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yeah. It's intentional. SRAM's better. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Can say so. <laughs> Is that it? I think that's it. All right. With that, uh, we'll close out episode 18, and we will see you for a special episode very soon, live from TDS. So stay tuned for that. Go to mtbpodcast.com, buy a t-shirt. There's pretty sweet Or three. Or three. Uh, There's really nothing wrong with more than one. Because there are seven days in a week. So (laughs) if you got three... That's yeah. true. Then you, that just means that you're a little closer to seven, right? That's what three means? <laughs> well, no, it just means you can still wear <laughs> other things, but you at least have three of your days covered. Good point. Okay. Yeah. So head to mtbpodcast.com, buy a shirt if you'd like a shirt, maybe buy one for your significant other, and uh, you can listen to the podcast, subscribe to it there, share it out. Please share it with everybody. Yes. And uh, thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Good night. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.